1: I walk a straight line, shackle and chained. Oh, Gloosome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the hillstring string gang, Rang Hey everyone, and welcome back to Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making, the complete story of America's bloodiest prison. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. We got a story today for y'all. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Y'all, you know, we always told you you get something different, then this one is going to be way different than what we normally do. It's going to co- be more of a story format. um And... We'll probably bounce around a little bit as we go, because this one really is raw and
1: unscripted. Raw, unscripted, and I'll tell you this, Woody, it, you know, it's a, it is a historical story in that it happened a long time ago, and it has some family ties, too. Absolutely, it does.
0: Woody over it, it does, and uh, it's a crazy story straight out of Bloody Angle, uh, and Jim Chapman Hadn't found this story, it'd probably be in, lost in history forever. That's right. right. So, um, what we're going to tell you about today is a convict named Ricardo Escobar. Mm, right, that's a famous uh, right? convict, yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> but you think about that, Pablo. Y'all, but y'all, this is happened in November on November 22nd of 1953. That's been a minute, right? The, a minute. Uh, uh completely so you, different Angola back then. Right. And then you think about the, the Hispanic population in Angola must have almost been nothing yeah. back then. So the anyway, on November twenty second, nineteen fifty-three, Ricardo Escobar was doing his time at Angola, and guess what happened? Jim Chapman?
1: Uh, he didn't like Angola too much. He didn't want to hang around.
0: He, he uh <laughs> he just absolutely that. didn't. So On the evening of November 21st, 1953, he hauled ass. He escaped from Angola and went into the Tunica Hills. Now, we told you all about the Tunica Hills. That's the natural barrier. You just got to be a badass to even go. I mean, they have a public hunting area up there and stuff. Yeah. Or a, a park.
1: I've got experience in that public, yeah. and, and just to tell a quick little story, y'all, and, and it'll really give you an idea of the terrain in Tunica Hills. I went deer hunting there, yeah. uh, shot a deer, and the, those hills are, are real hills. We call them like mountains here <laughs> Yeah, they're like mountains to us. With ravines and all that. I could see that deer run, 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 and go and hit those hills, and I'd see it come up and go down and come up and go down. It was the only time in my life I almost left the deer just yeah, in the right. woods because I'm like, man, this it's is going to be a pain in the, the ass. There people
0: out there just to have a pain in the ass and hiking. Yeah. And, and so it's really wooded, y'all. It's not like it's bare hills and deep ravines and all that. And, of course, bloody Angola is surrounding the other three sides by the mighty Mississippi. sip. So Ricardo Escobar decided he wasn't going to hang around, and on the night of the 21st, he escaped and hauled ass into the uh, Tunica Hills. Nobody really knew he was gone. That's the crazy right? part. And, and the next morning, around 10 o'clock, he came upon a home located in the Tunic Hills, and it, it was occupied by Virginia Webb and her husband. Now, you talk about rural. I, be, they, I mean, if they had electricity, I bet it it, it was a big deal for them, yeah. right? much less phones or anything like that. Um, so he comes upon his house. He's like, holy shit. And I've been in the woods, getting my ass tore up all night and everything. And, and he comes upon the house and um, what does he do? Well, the old convict comes in and he breaks into the home, right? He fired two shots from a pistol. When the night before, when he escaped, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that more in a minute. He had actually stole the pistol from Angola. Now, <laughs> you got a escape convict you don't know about, and you got a stolen pistol you don't know about that's a little bit of a problem no we're not throwing shades it's just the way that it was so when he fired the, t- the two shots in the pistol, one of them hit Virginia Webb in the stomach now yeah. how she lived but of course back then they didn't have air med and all that i don't I don't know all the details uh, but she did live and in, in and naturally, she's pissed off about it, right? And after things settled down, she actually filed a lawsuit against the state of Louisiana stating, like, hey, you should have been handling your business. You only have one job, right? Do it correctly. You're This convict not only does he escape, but he gets one of your pistols, and he breaks in a shit, and he shoots me.
1: Yeah. I'm suing your ass. Yeah, and, and she had is, some legit arguments, for, you know, with— with her complaint, and y'all got to remember, this is the early 50s, and GOLA was not near as secure as it is now. They really heavily relied on the terrain. Woody was talking about those Tunica Hills and the Mississippi River surrounding it on three sides, and those were things that they used kind of as their wire. Yeah. Other than that, it was dang near wide open. You know, there just wasn't the... Um, the the escape type things they have nowadays to yeah. to keep these folks from escaping. That, that's a great point. And let me go into that
0: a little bit further, okay? Today's culture, everybody sues everybody. You got all the lawyers' commercials on TVs and all that. They didn't have that back then, all right? Um, for somebody to bring a civil lawsuit against somebody was actually very rare. Right. Right? There were no slipping falls and shit like that. But she's like, I mean, she you know, I'm pissed. So I'm suing the state of Louisiana and Angola because they should have took care of their shit. Well, the now this is, this is years after, uh, before this actually came to trial. And the judge that was over here in the civil part of the case was <laughs> the Honorable Woodrow Overton. Right. How about that? That's my grandfather, <laughs> Al, and,
1: uh, and 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 before I, Woody he goes any further, when I came across this case, uh, that was obviously what stood out was All I right. was looking over old Ang- Angola cases, and I said, "Holy shit!" Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, all right. And, That's
1: he's grandpa. And,
0: and he had come up, y'all, and uh, they actually called him governor because they said he would have been the next governor of the state of Louisiana, but he died like a year after this case. The, um, he was a state representative, and, of course, he was an attorney, and then he got elected judge, and he oversaw east and west Feliciana Parish, west Feliciana Parish being where Angola is, the f- most northern West tip of East Santa Parish I mean West Flushiana Parish so when he he gets the case right I mean back then they've really like I said that yeah they're basically nobody sued anybody and and basically these cases got dismissed well my grandfather gets the case and we're going to go in more detail on it and he's like well you know the uh, first of all yeah you know, we gotta figure out whether or not a state government can be guilty of negligence in operation of prison. Well, in this case, it seemed obvious to him. Right. Um, and I mean, if they do such acts of gross negligence, then, you know, they can be found liable for it. I mean, That's right. if he's just absolutely outside the box. Right? That's
1: right. And, Negligence, you know, when it comes to an escape and you're looking for negligence, obviously you're going to be looking for lack of security that enabled someone to escape. Right. And so and he we're reading
0: part of, you know, from what Jim uh, found and and what he found, what what he said was, well, you know what, if the United States military can be found guilty of, of uh, tort acts. Or even the you know the Department of Highways, you wouldn't think they could get sued, right? Well, they can. I mean, if you screw something up so
1: bad that, that it's obvious, they didn't do it. So the uh, which now is is common sense, and everybody you know. But back then, yeah, like what he said, right. you just didn't do it, right? So, you didn't see the government and, and so state
0: this was his reason, and and he said if the the different departments of the state government or even the military can be found guilty of being so negligent. Well, then we can hear this case. All right. So, but he said before going into the question of the ledge negligence of the state employees at Angola, he wanted to note, he said, it's necessary to note that the, the physical layout and security set up in Angola. Angola is approximately 18,000 acre prison farm, lying some 26 miles northwest of the town of St. Francisville in West Feliciana Parish. Now, like we told y'all, it is bounded on the western side and, and most of the southern and northern sides by the Mississippi River. On the eastern side and part of the northern sides, Angola is bounded by the Tunic Hills, and the outer limits of Angola facing
1: the Tunic Hills are marked by a series of gun towers along the levee. And that's important. Right. Because that was exactly how they relied on their security. Back then, there were not electric fences. Yeah. There were not walls. Uh, and even now, you know, the, the primary walls for Angola are the Mississippi River and the Tunica Hills. But they do have fences. And, and look, there's wire. Yeah, and you've wire heard us talk about wire, this.
0: Constantine wire on top of
1: Constantine yeah. wire. You know,
0: the wolf dogs and everything else, right? Back
1: then, not so much.
0: No, they, I mean, because they figured. Hey, you going to run? Where are you going to run? You're yeah. drowning in the river. We're going to catch your ass in the hills, right? So that's old it. Red. All, old Red. <laughs> all, old Red would chase them down. So <laughs> um, that's all they had. And it was a couple of gun, uh, guard towers. Now, what the guards were doing, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, like Jim said, there, no, there was no wall or electric fence running along the tunic hillside for security purposes. And it says, it is very unclear for just what. Purposes, purposes, these so-called guard towers serve, right? I mean, that, I guess maybe a, a deterrent. It's not like you run away at nighttime. They had the big spotlights and shit. I mean, what's you can't yeah, see Yeah, think,
1: shit, think right. about Shawshank, y'all, and, yeah. and the, the big spotlight that they would shine, and that was pretty much all you had to look for. It was more almost of an aesthetic thing and a deterrent right. than something that may actually work. Right, and, and so – in
0: this, my grandfather's report, he writes, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, it's very and clear for what purposes these so-called guard tower served." Now, during the trial part, uh, Captain Clyde Morgan, who's the security officer that worked in Angola for some 25 years, he testified that the towers were guard posts, which when a convict goes over the levee, now, y'all, if you're not from Louisiana, is a levee is a raised embankment used to hold water back, right? Captain Morgan said that the towers were guard posts, which when a combat goes over levee, they can call us and let us know. So they weren't basically even shooting at them. They were just calling in and say, hey, we got a runner, right? And Assistant Warden R.F. Odom, who had been in Angola nearly nine years, when asked, it, it, they asked him during trial, asked him the security value of these towers. He, he stated that they're guard towers, <laughs> right? Percy Tanner, another Angola security officer, indicated his belief that the towers were guard towers. Now, this this is all establishing that the state is, is negligent and, like, and
1: not pro- providing right? I mean, proper you security. Stop. You
0: got the worst of the worst there, and uh, all you got is lookout towers.
1: Yeah, and you can't see them at night. That's right, yeah. and and y'all, this is this is the whole purpose of of this particular trial was to prove that there was some negligence in allowing the convicts to get out because there's people that lived yeah. by Angola right. weren't necessarily on the B line, right. so they weren't employees of Angola, yeah. but they lived right off the property.
0: Yeah, well, and the deal being if you know. We do have some escape stories, and we're going to cover in the future where uh, it involves convicts uh, against the people in the Beeline. Well, Escobar wasn't trying to hang around, right? So he mm-hmm. ran all night and got far enough down to, to uh, this house. But listen to this. Captain McGee Reed, the captain in charge of the security of Escobar, testified in answer to a question regarding the purpose of the towers. He said, well, there were the— they were there to guard the men on the farm, <laughs> I mean, right? And,
1: seems like common sense.
0: And then the, the warden Sigler, in his testimony as well, in his deposition, say that the towers had little, if any, security value and were primarily useful as fire towers. <laughs> Even though it seems quite odd for the warden to have such a different views from those of his security personnel, he seemingly is the one to know the security value of the towers,
1: yeah, and and so I think his point there was, as we've discussed many times in Angola uh, in this podcast, you know, workers or or convicts at Angola work. That's right. what they do. Right. They don't have a choice. And really, these towers at that point in time, were used to kind of supervise them as they worked. Mm-hmm. Once the lights went out and they were inside these camps, mm-hmm. uh, the towers weren't of much value. Right, They were more of value to see if a guy was still hoeing in the field. Right, right. And, and, and
0: again, aesthetic at, at best, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what I want to say, there, there are a number of different camps in Angola, and we told you all about that. Right, Jim. Yes, and they're all spread out because it's a working farm, a, a plantation, if you will, and they are spread out for economical reasons and security reasons. Economical reasons being so they can get the inmates into the fields where they were going to be working quicker and back and forth, and security keep them from massing up and, and doing mass riots. But um, so they so say there are a number of different camps and go at different places where prisoners are kept. Around each camp, there is a fence with at least one guard tower. Now, that's very different than today. Like mm-hmm. Jim said, a, a fence, y'all. They're not saying it was a concertina wire fence or anything. Basically, like a just a chain, chain link fence and one guard tower overlooking the whole camp. So, Warden Sigler testified the penitentiary is the perimeter of the camps. When the prisoners are outside the confines of their particular camp, the security is a supervision kept over their work. Now, that is what they call pushing the line. And when yeah. you see the pictures of the, of the uh, corruption officers on horseback holding the rifles mm-hmm. on their knees, that's what they call they are the line pushers. And if you run from that line, you get shot. Yeah. Uh, 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 and so, but when you're in the camp,
1: that's right, and and, shit. and here's you know the interesting thing. Well, two interesting things there. One, uh, they had convict guards, right? Uh, right. Just prior to that, yeah, and, right. and and look, this they is, this they, they will shoot and, you in a heartbeat, right, right? And and they got off of the power, but this is <laughs> yes. true, bloody Angola years. That's right, and and not only that, and and really what the meat of this story is is that Escobar wasn't in a normal camp. You right. might be surprised to know. Escobar was a trustee in a trustee camp. So they the trustees had a completely different security situation than uh, normal convicts, obviously, because they were trusted. That's where the word trustee comes in. They're right, trusted right. that they're not going to run. And
0: usually they had to been down for a long time. and Typically. A thread and they had the best, cushiest jobs. Yep. Whether it's ad, an administration building or taking care of the houses on the B-line. Or as in this case, even taking care of the bachelor quarters, which is where correctional officers would live um, when they were there working. You know, single people coming in. Like, when I went to, to work up there, I was actually living in Baton Rouge. And shit, that's where they built the new highway in. And it took you two hours to get there from Baton Rouge. So you go there, and you go to work your 12-hour shift, and you, and you sleep in the BQs, what they call it, bachelor quarters. They This is, to Jim's point, they said, however— in relation to the prisoner Escobar, the security setup seems to have been different. Escobar had been made a trustee and was on November twenty-one, the day he, he ran, y'all, nineteen fifty-three. He was imprisoned in the trustee camp, which is what that time was Camp E now it's camp Out. And according to the testimony of Warden Sigler, the security of those prisoners prisoners, including Escobar, living in Camp E was that of a system of checks. Trustees, according to Warden and Sigler, have no liberties other than that they are not considered custodial risk to the point of having to be constantly on the guard, but are kept under constant check and supervision. In relation to Escobar, Sigler stated that if two hours went by without a check being made on him, he would consider it careless on the part of the checker, right? So Captain Maynard who was the chief of security when Escobar escaped, testified that Escobar should have been checked within every two hours during the daylight and within every hour at night.
1: Yeah, so where they might would check your normal uh, average convict every hour, they give him a little more leeway and maybe yeah. every two hours. Yeah, and, and the thing, too, they're not spending the money on
0: having some, uh, uh, like you said back then, it was, it was mostly a convict guards and stuff like that. They didn't actually have the guards inside the compound. Yep. The, like the campy, they they turned them in at night, and that was it. Yep. And, and and somebody walked around outside and, and, and peered in the windows. Basically, they weren't even doing full counts and clearing full counts.
1: That's right. And when you're a trustee, look, there's a mental thing there with the with the guards at this time that, eh, we don't even check on him as much right. as we did. Yeah, oh, shit. I can you tell know. you
0: that, I mean, I, mean, I had four Two admin seg and two working cell blocks. And, of course, I did my major counts and stuff. You're supposed to check them, you know, however, in between then. And you call it out, and then the girl in the cage writes it down, right? Well, the deal being is, well, fuck, they locked up. you checked in the doors every time you go down. Okay. They're not getting out, right? That's so right. Can I tell you I went every 15 minutes like I was supposed to? No, it didn't <laughs> happen. But listen to this. <laughs> this was actually testified in the court, and they said – uh, as additional parts of the security arrangement, talk them, all right? Now listen, this this is like the Rape Elimination Act to me. As additional parts of the security arrangement, prisoners were not supposed to have access to alcohol, narcotics, or
1: firearms and weapons. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine
0: that. Well, that, that, the deal is... And it goes on to say the facts of this case, proved by the preponderance of evidence at the trial, appear as follows. On November 21, 1953, Escobar was a trustee prisoner in Angola. He had a criminal record of convictions of burglary and theft in 1940, rape in 1943, disturbance in 1948. Carrying a concealed weapon in 1951, burglary in 1952, and on March 27, 1952, he was committed at Angola. So he wasn't there long at all for May trustee. I guess they could figure not. Was, he wasn't a all. murderer,
1: right? Yeah, not, and uh, you hear that rap sheet, right? and and look, he, this attorney picked up on this real quick, and he's like, what he's trying to do is paint a picture of right. how bad this guy was, yet. He became a trustee by December of 1952. Yeah. He was like, put in there in March, oh, hey. late yeah, March yeah. of so 1952. Like so nine, months, months, nine yeah. months. Yeah. 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 So. It's crazy.
0: In December of 1952, he was given the status of trustee. In July, of 1953 he was assigned to work as a clean up man in the angola hotel oh we need to do an episode just in the angola hotel y'all didn't know they had that the angola hotel y'all was about more more commonly referred to now is is the bq or bachelor quarters all right yeah um and that's where you i mean it's it's Pretty cool. It, I mean, if you're working out of town, you go work your 12 hours. You come back and you eat. You eat uh, inmate food, yeah. and if you don't leave, they used to have a little store right outside the gate with a, a little where they serve beer. But if you didn't leave to do that, you went back to your room and, and you had a bed, and the inmates cleaned it up for you during the daytime, and you had a clean shitter, and you got your shower, and you took a nap, and. And got up, or not a nap. He went to sleep and got back to work. But so they signed into the Angola Hotel. Now, on November the seventh, nineteen fifty-three, two weeks before the escape, Captain Reed, remember? Oh, I'll tell you about it, who was in charge of Escobar. Reported to the Angola officials in a written report that Escobar was capable of working under supervision only. Mm. Right. However, the record clearly indicates that on. The escape day, Escobar was not under close supervision. He was working in the Angola Hotel as a clean-up man. He had been sent out to pick cotton and came back to the hotel between 4 and 5 o'clock.
1: Now, and and before we go any further, I just want to hammer down uh, what Woody just said about uh, the captain saying he only works under supervision. That is the attorney painting the picture of, hey— when there was no guard around, this guy didn't do nothing but sit on his ass. Yeah, 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 exactly. And the, it And so much yeah, so that the
0: captain put that in the right, report. Right, I mean, he's not there for being the best worker in the world. <laughs> right. right. But he's like, mm, if you don't put your eyeballs on he ain't going to do dick. That's right. Uh, and y'all, want, keep in mind that this is from a civil lawsuit that Jim found. So what, we're painting – even these um, correctional officers' answers – they know what this lawsuit's about. They're being deposed, or, or, or we're about to read you some when they were on the stand, uh, um, in a question, and, and they don't want to be involved in this shit, right? They want to go back to the farm and and do what they do, keep living their lives. Escobar, when, when, when he testified, he testified that he didn't recall being checked after that. Now, Tanner, who you're going to hear from him in a minute, Tanner, who had supervision over Escobar when he escaped, testified that the last check made on Escobar was at 530. Escobar then drank some whiskey and took some dope. Took some dope. According to Escobar's (laughs) testimony, right? That's what they call it. Wait till you hear this. This is... This was happening this was inadvertently happened but it, it, now everything gets in because not ninety percent of everything that gets in all the contraband is because the is bringing it in they get paid to the, this Escobar is cleaning up the the Angola Hilton or Angola hotel <laughs> and he got he found some whiskey and some dope according to his testimony and then he stole a correction officer's gun and walked away around seven o'clock. Now at seven o'clock in that time of year, it's dark. So Escobar stated that the whiskey dope and gun were taken from the rooms of free employees, which had been left unprotected. Oh, that's well, not they, they leave them unprotected. The, the, the trustees come in and clean it. You I mean? That's basically, not, I don't really get that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd be locking my shit up. It, you might want to plant. Yeah. somewhere. Yeah. But they did say there is no definite proof that he did obtain the whiskey, but but no, no proof to the did. contrary, right? Yeah. And it is definitely established that he did get the gun and the dope. Yeah, <laughs> In the 50s, bro. Yeah, you, you probably wasn't weed, but I'm sure it was heroin or something hardcore. Both were found on him. That's not like he ran into Tunica Hills and found a heroin dealer and, and, and a firearms <laughs> dealer, right? The uh, record also indicates that a prisoner could have obtained both whiskey and devil. We told you about that. The, uh, there's some question as at the time Escobar was missed, and Tanner, who had supervision over him at this time, stated that Escobar was supposed to have been back on the Camp E. ER Yard between 7.30 and 8. And when he didn't show up during that interval, he went to the hotel looking for him. Mm. Um, Maynard indicates that he was not— notified the chief security, uh, not Reed or Tanner, the the chief security main already indicates that he was not notified shortly before midnight. I, I bet
1: not. Right. They're freaking out. You it know, ain't even looked before midnight. Right? Yeah, yeah, the last thing they wanted to do was call the chief of security. Right. So you got right. these guards running around, and they're like, "We need to find this dude." But we're going
0: to get fired. I, I submit to you, they didn't. They were like, mm, "Holy shit!" Uh, maybe he glanced in at eleven forty-five. It's like, "Holy fuck!" His buck's empty. <laughs> Where is he at? And yeah. not know why he's talking. And then they get and then. It, or protocol. They got a call of the chief of security, right? Yeah. So, and then he's saying midnight. Now, it might have been. And they, he knows the state's getting sued. He knows they're they're being liable as he. It might have been fucking five o'clock the next morning. We don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so. Uh, Chief Security Maynard indicates that he was not notified until shortly before midnight. And also, the radio log of Angola does not show any mention of the escape until around midnight. Now, y'all, they, even back then, they had radios, um, which they would call in to the command center or, or um, if something unusual happened. So, Especially in escape. The, and, and Right. And so they attained the records and they found out the first mention was around
1: midnight. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what are you, yeah. so, what yeah, do I mean, you do in that situation? Well, you call the dog. Yeah. Then, so what then do you, then ever you do? have an oh shit moment. Yeah. So, tell them about that, Jim. Well, the, there's a captain. His name was C.C. Dixon. Do you and, know that Dixon Correctional Institute was named after him. There you go. I did not yes, know that. Yes. That's interesting. So, C.C. C. Dixon was, in, you know, he's very famous, obviously, had a prison named after him. He was in charge of those dogs. He was probably the most famous dog dog trainer of all time. So he gets that call and look, for Him, it's kind of like if you're a weatherman and a hurricane's coming through, yeah. this is your time. Yeah, you want me to up? Yeah. get uh, up, uh, boys. Uh, uh, Scott Cantor, you
0: know, the guy runner. Runner. Yes. Out the, That's uh, it,
1: and this, a little brisk here. And yes. Warm, nice. yeah, but yes. You, you live for that moment. Old CC right. jumped up, he woke up the dog. Get up, boys. Get up, boys. Come up, on, we man. got a runner. And while that's going on, they're still having roll call trying to figure out exactly who escaped in Camp E. Right. They didn't know at that time it was Escobar they might have not done those roll call checks before them uh or it could have been they just missed Escobar completely
0: a lot of times too they on on these unofficial counts that's sent now it's not like it is now where they have you know 10 guys on shift on the camp right and talking about correction officers back then it would have been like one and they would walk through and Made a mental head count and I'm sure they missed it right for the first one or the second one. And when once they actually made a count, they're not counting faces. they're like, Holy shit, we're one short. Yeah, now they gotta figure out who the hell they're they're short. Roll calls, right?
1: Right. So they figured out after they're looking through all this that it it was Escobar and he was missed around the eight o'clock count that they did or shortly thereafter. And it was definitely. Established to be an escape after several roll call checks and checks of the hotel an hour or so later, right. and it appeared that the regular capture procedure at this point was employed, which is, is give the dogs. Get the dogs. <laughs> <Get> the dogs. <laughs> That's it. That's all they had. You know, yeah. the dogs. There was there was no uh, uh, team at that yeah, point. There's no helicopters with uh, infrared and
0: all that. But I, you better believe that. C.C. Dixon had the best oh, yeah. dogs in the world because oh, yeah. they were running all the time. <laughs> no security, right? You don't want yeah. to hear them coming after uh-uh. you. So they go on in the lawsuit and say, from the foregoing, including knowledge of the physical layout at Angola, the fre- frequency of escapes, which was often y'all, the testimony of Angola officials, and all the relevant facts, it appears obvious that the state was guilty of negligence in relation to the handling in Escobar at Angola. This is what my grandfather wrote. He said the state was negligent in allowing Escobar to escape in several particulars during that the year that Escobar escaped in 1953. Listen, to this is going to blow your freaking <laughs> mind. There were 102 convicts that tried to leave Angola, that tried to run. That's crazy. In one year. In one well, year. That's how many? It's is one that? every three days. Yeah, that's basically. crazy. And, yeah. Uh, and that's Warden Sickler telling us. He said the number can probably be explained by the security system. <laughs> uh, of the time, and mm-hmm. it was relatively easy for a prisoner to leave. And the security seems to have been that um, that it, he would have been missed in a matter of hours, and because of the rough terrain, of the Tunic Hills could be apprehended by the use of bloodhounds and guards before he could travel many miles.
1: And they relied on that it,
0: it, it, almost it, to a fault. It, well, yeah, and, and but they had it down to a system team. Yeah. Even nowadays, they – they, so nowadays, it's a lot more advanced. That they'll actually have trustees that they'll, they'll run, they'll, they'll let run, and they, they chase them down practice. Yeah. These are trustees that work with dogs. And they practice, practicing. They can tell you how far a human can get on what terrain, and they'll set up the perimeter outside of that now. And, Absolutely. And, and so C.C. Dixon was instrumental in all this.
1: Yeah, and there were no cameras no, back then. Shit, no, I mean, they, nothing.
0: And, um, however— such a system, in effect, deliberately exposed the people living in close proximity to Angola to a perilous and unnecessary risk. The operation of any concerns, be it business, prison, or otherwise, which creates a risk, danger, nuisance, or cause of harm to another, is actionable negligence. Mm. And there is no question but that Virginia Webb was subjected to this risk and harm and was injured thereby, and then this again, that's what my grandfather wrote.
1: Agree with that a hundred percent. And what that, you know, what that case was trying to prove there was what we pointed out in the beginning, and that is they have civilians, if you will, uh, outside of those, you know, the property of the prison, and they're being put at risk because Angola at that time people felt uh, the security measures were not what they should yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, I mean, hundred and some
0: running uh, I think they felt pretty safe because of the amount. I mean they caught all these guys or they yeah. died, right? And and but the they weren't in the bachelor or in the Angola hotel getting pistol and dope and, yeah. and whiskey. Uh, but say my grandfather goes on the right Anyone that knows or has a chance to study Escobar, observes his actions and study his criminal record, can obviously see that he is a dangerous criminal. It was negligence for security employees at Angola to fail to check a criminal like Escobar for near three hours, two hours of which were after dark. Security Chief Maynard stated that it had been ordered that such prisoners be checked at least every hour after dark. Again, doesn't have a right, I mean whatever, for whatever reason. And it goes on to write, where a prison has the escape frequency that Angola had during the night during nineteen fifty three and before, and where such prisoners were continuously harassing the people in the community, it was negligence for the prison to take no steps towards warning the populace that they had been exposed to risk created, especially when they could have rung an available whistle. Now they had an old train whistle like the a factory whistle. Yeah, and when ran one ran, they were supposed to blow that so the uh, surrounding community could hear it. They didn't do that even, right? Yeah. So, according to the testimony of security chief Maynard, the employees in Angola were negligent in not getting all of the escape machinery in action promptly after um, Escobar was missed, and the record indicates that security chief Maynard was not informed until about midnight, and Escobar was missed at least by nine o'clock. And he said, there can be no question, but that that the state was negligent and failing to keep closest supervision over Escobar while he was working at night alone. Captain Reed, who was in charge of Camp E and Escobar, testified that Tanner was charged with the knowledge of Escobar and should have checked him every hour or so. This he failed to do and was negligent in, not checking at all after 5.30. In connection with Tanner's failure to maintain a proper check on Escobar, we're about to read y'all his testimony in court. All right, Jim, I'll be the attorney, and you read Tanner's statement. Now, you got to remember, Tanner's an old country boy, a correction officer for life. He's, he, he was in charge of this camp. He's got mud on his face, as it is, and he is not happy. Not at uh, all. About being there. And But really, before this, they would have never been seen. They'd never been Called up on their actions, so I'm gonna read the attorney. It's just a couple of y'all. I, I think it's funny as fuck. So, the um, so the attorney says, "If that's true, would you tell me how Escobar escaped? How he walked away?
1: Whose fault was it, Mister Tanner?" Well, they've been running. They were running before I went there, and they still running. Whose fault was that? Well, I don't know. I'm asking you. You were on duty that night. Right, right, Mr. Tanner? Uh, If you had as many men to watch over at that camp as I did at that time, I'd like to see you watch all of them at one time.
0: Well, you had too many of them so that you could not watch them properly? Is that what you're saying? Probably. At that particular time, yes, sir. (laughs) So, y'all, thus, the only man charged with checking Esquire – And no one of his presence confesses that he did not and could not properly watch Escobar. My grandfather says that was negligence. He said the state was negligent in allowing Escobar to attain a gun at the prison it seems undeniable that Eddie Bordelon, a state employee, was negligent in leaving his pistol at Escobar's disposal. Hey. So, Oh, Eddie Bordelon came to the state because um, he had to work his ship, brought his pistol, and knew his room was going to be unlocked. And fuck, man. The lock only keeps honest being honest. But Escobar right. is down for everything but, but murder, sees the pistol, and he takes it. And they proved this. I mean, it's beyond a shadow of a doubt. So— and and he, he was definitely negligent for leaving his pistol at Escar's disposal, and for this negligence, he was fired. Right? This right. I think pretty sure it was before civil service. And the my grandfather goes on to quote uh, a, a state case that says the state is responsible for its employees, and that was Marler versus State, uh, which was uh, cited in 1955.
1: Yeah and, and so y'all are probably wondering by this point what you know how the heck did he get a hold of these firearms how common was this? uh so we're going to give you a little information on that in regards to the hotel and and you know we're talking about Bordelon here and not only was he guilty of negligence as has already been said but also the prison officials uh were guilty of negligence they had not taken proper safeguards right. and Uh, reasonable actions to ensure the convicts would not be able to get a hold to firearms. Firearms.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah. There there appears to be an understanding prior to Escobar's escape that guns should be kept in steel lockers (laughs) or deposited at security offices for safekeeping. No one man was responsible for guns in a certain area. There was no roster showing who had guns. And where they were, so they, you know, they didn't have to sign them in and put where they are anywhere. Uh, immediately after the escape, however, a written order was issued, and proper steps were taken for security of weapons. So they realized there was a problem, it's, and they enacted a policy, if you
0: will. It's like I told you, every policy, every, get out wherever you work. You have a policy and procedure manual. Every rule in that fucking book is there because some jackass messed something up.
1: That's know? right. <laughs> you can't even believe that you'd have to write this down. But go ahead. That's right. And, and Escobar himself, y'all, Escobar himself even stated that he had seen several guns lying around That's the crazy. hotel, leaving weapons where convicts can get them and having a loose security system where such is possible uh, is clearly neg- negligent. Mr. Overton said – um, and Bordelon, who was the owner of the stolen gun, testified that he was never told he was never told <laughs> right. that, uh, you know, any sort of policy or procedure of what to do with his gun. So that was kind of his excuse. Y'all didn't yeah, tell okay. me right. I had to right. sign uh, it in didn't somewhere. didn't tell me not to jump off the bridge. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. So Escobar actually went on to testify that he had taken goofballs, mm-hmm. which he had gotten from the Angola hotel. So That's that was dope. the Dope. dope. They the called speed, them goofballs. Hair when she, yeah, you know, they turned you into a goofball. He got pistols and dope. Hard dope. And dope. Hey, man, that ain't the hotel was people. party party yeah, time right? over there. Uh, and so although there was no co- convincing evidence that he had got them there, there was no way necessarily to prove where he had got them. It was pretty much known. And uh, actually, there were some narcotics – when he was captured and he had him in a box marked reducing pills. Right. Captain Morgan, no relation to the drink, yeah. uh, <laughs> who took the Escobar, pills. One is the B, yeah. yeah. He took the pills from Escobar and he testified he thought they looked like uh, benzodrine tablets. Yeah. He testified they looked like benzos and had uh, taken them from prisoners before. Yeah, So yeah. he kind of yeah. knew yeah. what they the looked like. Would probably
0: use them too, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. And um, the remaining
0: question is whether or not there was sufficient casual connection between negligence and the injury. And my grandfather said there seems to be little question but that there was. Yeah, yeah, um, and y'all was just sum it up for you real quick. He, my grandfather said the loose security and failure to check Escobar exposed the inhabitants of the community in the immediate proximity to Angola, including Virginia Webb, to just the type of injury she sustained. Were it not for the state's negligence, this injury would not have happened. It is definitely foreseeable that convicts escaping through the negligence of the state would harm people in the Angola area. This injury was directly within the risk area created by the negligence of the state and its employees. So that's what he says. So, it, it, uh, so there's an act to authorize the Department of Institutions to pay certain claims for damages <laughs> sustained, uh, uh, I guess uh, like a piggy bank. Mm-hmm. Um, But my grandfather said there is no question but that Escobar was an act of escape in this instance. And also, there's no question that that Virginia Webb could have received up to the $1,000 limit for damage she incurred as a result of the escape. But I'm going to tell you what he ended up doing ultimately, right? I mean, it it goes on the site over and over again about— uh, leaving a dangerous criminal alone and, and him having access to whiskey and firearms and everything else. Um, in Virginia Webb's petition, she asked for a substantial sum for a loss of wages. It was the opinion of the court, such recovery is not permissible under law. In Louisiana, I married women's wages are community property and blah blah blah. This is all back then, y'all. But I'll tell you, in the end, at the end of the day, uh, Virginia Webb went on saying she was suffering, probably was, that uh, for the bodily injuries and had mental pain and suffering and psychotic depressed reaction, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is a, probably the the version of the modern-day lawyers trying to get more money. But maybe she really was hurt that bad. And um, so my grandfather ended up giving her a $10,000 reward for Past and future pain and suffering, and but, uh, and the he gave her an extra five thousand dollars for the mental shock and the anxiety from that from going on that night. So for the for this my grandfather wrote for the above and foregoing reasons, there should be the judgment in this case in the favor of the plaintiff Virginia Webb and against the state of Louisiana in the full and just sum of fifty. $15,000. Fifteen thousand dollars, bro. You know how much money that was back then.
1: Yeah, that was a you, you yeah, know you, you might buy, be thinking you buy fifteen a core grand, vet for like fifteen hundred dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean nineteen fifty three. That was that was like an annual salary for someone that made a lot of money. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, for someone
0: that made a lot of money. Yeah, they, they were like making 150000 dollars a year or more. Now probably is more than that now, with inflation and everything
1: else. So no doubt about but, it. Um, and and to tell y'all the importance of this case and why we bring this to you. This completely changed Angola. Absolutely. After that, uh, after that was a lot of money, the state had to pay out and you better believe heads, heads yeah. were going to roll. Oh, yeah. A lot of people ask, got fired. the Borla. Yeah. Counts increased. they, Finally, had like a book that you would sign right. your weapons in and out of, and eventually that would change to where guards didn't even carry guns. Right. Uh, all of that kind of started with Miss Webb's case. Right. So this is something that we just gave you that is of huge historical oh, significance right. to Angola, and it's pretty cool that my co-host on this show's grandfather is it's, one is yeah. the guy who presided that was, over that. that, that. Was a real treat, man. I
0: mean, you found that, and actually. Um, Jim is of the one that does all the research and, and everything I usually have everything that laid out for me et cetera. but I was in the studio on Sunday um, recording for, for regular real, real life real crime and I was do, digging through these other papers and I found this one and I called my mom and dad it was about another case yeah. that we're going to cover. And then we got to talking about this one and everything.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed it. My grandfather it. was a hard
0: ass. He didn't give a shit who he pissed off. And like I said, <laughs> they said he was going to be the next governor, yeah. and, but he had died. He uh, like a massive heart attack crossing the street from the courthouse to his office. And I think he was 42 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, then, that was uh, a,
1: that was a treat
0: doing that case. Yeah, It was mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you uh, for finding it for me. And, a little bit of heritage, about a little bit that. of heritage. I tell you one a, a thing, knowledge. Like, um, my dad tells me my my grandfather wasn't a man of many words, obviously, but the he my dad remembers him being my dad being a young boy, and my grandfather was a judge on a bench, and he said he said I had to sentence five people uh, to death in an electric chair in mm. Angola. He said those are the only cases that ever. Kept me up at night.
1: On him, yeah. Hey,
0: back then they didn't have all the pills. I said when they sent us them, they fucking fried them. Yeah,
1: Grayson Gerdy. Yeah, you riding the lightning? Riding the lightning. Uh, Thank y'all so much for watching,
0: supporting. Yes, thank you for everything. Real quick, want to mention this: this Saturday, June third, downtown Denham Springs, a a huge benefit for Corporal Sean Kelly. Yeah, and today. Jim uh, um, you wanna tell them who came Yeah,
1: out? so we had uh we had uh, just an awesome young supporter of ours uh come by and she is part of the Denham Springs Police Department. Shout out to all those yes. young women. And uh and so we donated uh, some items we have some great gift baskets. Uh, one of them is a bloody Angola uh, themed gift basket. Right. One is a real life, real crime themed right. gift basket. In local leaders, which is my podcast, I do uh, individually. Uh, we also donated a gift basket. Of course, we support uh, you know Ke- uh, Corporal Kelly and his recovery. And uh, and all of that. So this Saturday, June 3rd,
0: y'all, they're going to have a bunch of auction items. They're going to auction off. It's an all-day event. they got stuff for the kids. Bands. At uh, at least three different bands. I think um, uh, I know a a whole bunch of different food vendors and everything else. And it's going to be a really good time. The weather's supposed to be beautiful. All the proceeds go to Corporal Sean's. Uh, family, Absolutely. And so it's a very worthy cause. Y'all, I promise you, I have a, a probably one of the biggest weeks of my family life ever this week. But if I can get there on Saturday, I'm going to be there just to go support. Absolutely. And, and uh, so y'all go and check it out. Yes, and, please and, do. And Patreon members, oh, wow. We love y'all. And thank you so yeah. much. We hope you're enjoying your bonus episodes and your commercial free hour That's races right. and, and everything else. And for... Hello Fresh. Let's yeah. talk about that
1: real quick. Yeah, got, so got, we, look, y'all, I've seen some deals come through, on the, it, yeah. but we are not blowing smoke up right. anybody's ass yeah. when we say, if you've ever wanted to try Hello Fresh, we're going to tell you what to do right now. Go to HelloFresh.com slash angola 16 the number 16, and you can get 16 free, free. meals Plus free shipping, and the way they do this, I want to explain this because food is fire.
0: We 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 both had several boxes.
1: Yeah, Yeah. the way they do this is there when you basically when you go in there and you order, there's going to be a little bit of a charge, and and you might say, "Well, I thought it was 16 for free." Mm -hmm. What they do is they divide that up over so many meals, so uh, so you get you end up getting 16 for free, but they can't. It's like a very minimal charge right, they put right. on the front there, almost, but you it's can it's check it out. Free. It's almost yeah. free. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's barely really anything. Free, and yeah. and it's, uh, it's
0: unbelievable. The food, though, oh, I'm going to talk about it, because the I used to do commercials for years ago on, on Real Life Real Crime, and and we did some, um, some recently, and I'm a foodie. Yeah. And I love to cook and everything, and holy shit, I, the first time I, I got You know, they give us a sample box. First time I got the sample box in, I was like, I'm not going to like this. But look, less than like 30 minutes, prepare it. What I liked about it is even when I cook, that last-minute trip to the grocery store for you you ran out of garlic powder or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be, and everything's in the box. You get the best meats. I mean, it's like select-cut everything, and then everything's in there. You throw it together, and the food is really, really good. They put shit together like I wouldn't even think. Tastes good. That's right. Uh, um, And it's all
1: chef-inspired recipes, and it's fire. It is, and and I'm sure you've seen some pictures we've been putting up of our yeah. – Y'all send us pictures finished, of yours. Uh, yeah, yeah, send they, us pictures they, of yours. They, That's actually, a great idea. Let's do that.
0: Y'all send us pictures of yours, and we, we will have a – we'll
1: post them and have a fan vote, yep. and the winner will we'll we'll send them get some t-shirt. swag. Yeah, Yeah. We'll send free a fruit T-shirt that. Yeah. to that That'd person. So send it on and whatever looks – Most of appetizing, maybe, or something. Yeah, well, we'll let the fans pick. We'll let the fans pick. That's um, right. So,
0: anyway, love and appreciate all
1: y'all. Yes, and until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. Your host of Bloody Angola. A podcast 142 years in the making. The complete story of America's bloodiest prison. Peace. Peace. I walk a straight line, shackle and chain. Oh, Bruce and Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hillstring Gang, a